Brought to you by Leave the Ring Network. All boxing, no filter. Oh! It's another knockdown. He's not getting up, Jim. He get up. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up. No, he's been knocked out. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. AJ does it in style. Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, Fight Fans. It is Wednesday, January 15th, and this is the Fistionados podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Rakowski, former HBO Sports Marketing Executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. The email is fistianatos at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistianatospod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. Thank you to everyone who gave feedback on my last episode. As I said, that is a very labor-intensive one for me to do, and it seems like everybody likes it. No one really said they didn't care for it. So I guess I will do it next year and hopefully try to do it in a way that isn't so labor-intensive for me. But uh, this is sort of part two to that, sort of the 2020 preview episode. Another thing, uh, I was on the Chris Mannix's Sports Illustrated Boxing uh, podcast last week, last Friday. Check that out. It's gotten a lot of great feedback so far. It, it, it discussing some similar stuff, um, and I'll try not to step on on that one. Uh, that we looked ahead on a couple of issues, but this is a much more sort of in depth look ahead uh, as, as far as that goes. Uh, let's jump right into the review section. Let's start with Friday, January tenth, on Showtime where we had a special edition of Showtime Boxing that wasn't really showbox. It featured Clarissa Shields winning by a wide unanimous decision over Ivana Habazin. Also on the card, Jaron Ennis, who is a big-time prospect, wins by KO4 against Bakhtiar Iubov. Um, Ennis is a very exciting fighter who I think has a big-time future. Uh, the show does an average of 255,000 viewers. It was the number 120 cable show of the night. A few major points here. First of all, that viewership number it's not bottom of the barrel terrible, um, but it's not great. It's somewhere probably in the slightly disappointing to just straight up sort of disappointing range, especially considering that it's quite a bit lower than her last fight. I think you have to take a few things into consideration here. You have to consider if the events leading up to this fight and and really the events surrounding Clarissa's shields, including like the postponement of it due to the crazy weigh-in, like how much that affected viewership. I mean, I probably lean towards no in most cases, but here I think, I mean, there might've just been some fatigue with this particular matchup because I've sort of lost track about how many times it was supposed to happen or it was on track to happen or whatever. I like, I've honestly forgotten the stories, uh, but they've been talking about it forever. So it's nice to, to know that it's just over. Um, it was nice to see the regular Showtime announcing crew for this event, as well as Jaron Ennis in the co-feature you know, Showtime took it really seriously. I think Jerron Ennis is a great prospect. He might 
you know, I guess he's still technically a prospect, but he looked really good. I don't have a whole lot more to say about this other than, you know, with regards to Shield's career as, as she continues, you know, other people have talked about this. She continues to sort of face this lack of depth in women's boxing. And I think it's like, what do you do if you're the network, if you're managing Shield's career, that kind of stuff. And I think you just sort of plow ahead and keep going. I mean, Showtime isn't doing too much to build opponents for her. Um, there isn't an obvious big time fight for her. Like, she's also not the most exciting fighter in the ring. Like, the lack of knockouts is just sort of apparent. But despite all those negatives, and despite not doing nearly as well as she did last time in the ratings, like, it was a pretty big drop, she's still clearly a draw. I mean, 255,000 viewers, considering what a lot of the other fights that Showtime did in 2019, and this is on a Friday night and that kind of thing, it's not really that, like I said, maybe slightly disappointing compared to to how well she did last time, but... She did better than a lot of the big time uh, fights we saw towards the end of the year on Showtime. Like the, you know, she she still outdrew. Now, granted, she outdrew some of the more disappointing Showtime cards, but it's not. This isn't like oh my god, drop Clarissa, Clarissa Shields. Like this, this is like she still is. She's still clearly a draw. Um, you know. I think the big question is, can she rebound in the viewership department? Can she con- still sort of continue to draw that audience? Does it trend back upward? Is this just a short blip? And uh, sort of the bigger questions are, how do you make her break out and become a true superstar, given the lack of depth and all that kind of thing? It, you know, I don't know the answer to it. I mean, I think one of the interesting, it's like if you pay attention to boxing Twitter, she's clearly like, she brings out some of the most controversial opinions for boxing people. I mean, I tend to dismiss a lot of that because, you know, as for right now, she does okay. And and, and she's done a lot better. She's done very promising numbers. I would just say, let's see what happens next. Like, hopefully this is the first of several fights for her this year. And they just plow ahead and keep going. I think they're building something pretty interesting uh, with her. And I think she's got the background uh, to take it to the next level. All right, on Saturday, January 11th, there are two cards of note from San Antonio and on DAZN. We have Jaime Munguia beating Spike O'Sullivan by KO11 at middleweight, where Munguia made his debut in the weight class. Also on the card, uh, women's title fight, Alejandra Jimenez beat Francon Cruz DAZN by split decision uh, to take the super middleweight title. Obviously, that uh, could be another, you know, could be an opponent for Clarissa Shields in the future. Uh, but that aside, let's talk about Munguia here for a second. It has been noted by many boxing people already that Munguia started to show a few more wrinkles in his game. Um, this is his second fight with Eric Morales. And I think while that's encouraging, the fact is that we're still talking about Munguia in this manner where he's not truly ready to be burst onto the big time boxing scene, like big time boxing, like that he's not ready for it yet. And I think it's been great for him to start earning some real money. I do want to take a moment here to talk about this from a network standpoint, not really a fighter standpoint, because again, I think it's great that he's earned a ton of money. One of the themes I talk about in this podcast is like the ripple effects of one decision and having it end up having massive repercussions through the industry and, you know, like this is usually it gets talked about in, in the prism of like Canelo waits to make a decision on something and the entire division, sometimes even two divisions get get held up by it. 
Um, but I just want to now look at how like one or two bad or desperate decisions by network execs just lead to you as a consumer being fed a bunch of crap for an extended period of time. So Mungia's rise actually does not trace back to when he was not approved as an opponent for the Nevada, you know, by the Nevada State Athletic Commission for the Triple G fight. Remember, Triple G was going to fight Canelo. Canelo pulls out because of the tainted meat issue. Triple G is looking for an opponent. Mungia is the opponent. And Nevada State Athletic Commission does not approve Jaime Mungia. Most people, for most people, it's the first time they've heard of him. But when you look at how these ripple effects happen, how decisions by network executives have these impacts, it actually starts when Klitschko retired instead of fighting a rematch against Anthony Joshua. Because HBO at that point sort of had one foot out the door of the boxing business, but they'd also earmarked a large amount of money to pay for that rematch, which would have been in November, and I believe that's 2017. So when that fight didn't happen, there wasn't a great backup plan. So HBO took the money earmarked for that fight and gave it to Miguel Cotto for a retirement fight. And to the casual fan, this seems like a very reasonable plan of what to do. And in a vacuum, it could be a very reasonable plan what to do. But when you're a boxing network executive, you have to have a plan for these things. And most of the time, when you're taking a faded veteran and putting them in a fight like this, you're expecting them to lose and you're expecting whoever to beat them to sort of get the rub and then carry on to a great career. And what happened here, instead of feeding Kodo to a big time prospect or like a future commercial star, a notoriously chinny Saddam Ali got the opportunity. And because of an injury to Kodo, he won. And that's great for Saddam Ali. But then Saddam Ali gets just crushed by Jaime Munguia. And if you're debating whether Saddam Ali should have gotten the opportunity, well, he wins a fight against a faded Mauricio Herrera, who has no power. And then he gets KO'd by Anthony Young. And neither of them have fought since then. And not exactly the career momentum you'd like after beating Miguel Cotto. So like out of this sort of Jaime Munguia is the one that emerges out of this mess, but he doesn't actually beat Miguel Cotto. So he doesn't get really the rub. And then he just ends up beating some other second tier guys, but not really developing along the way. And it's clear when Munguia fights, like when he has a clear athleticism edge or when he can just sort of buzzsaw through people, like he would win in completely dominant fashion. And that's great. But when he faced an opponent, with wrinkles in their game, like he didn't really look great at all. So then Golden Boy decides to protect him as much as possible, which, by the way, is great promoting. Like, that's absolutely what Golden Boy should be doing, and full credit to them for doing it. But this is what happens when network execs just don't have a good plan, <coughs> excuse me, in place for the boxing that they're airing. And you started to see it with HBO, who just didn't have a plan in place for this, and was just sort of like, okay, we'll just let this guy roll with it. And one of the things that I was talking about with, with Chris Mannix was, uh, and, and this is sort of a perfect example, is like when you don't have a boxing guy. And Tom, this came from talking about that Thomas Hauser article, uh, which I I'm not going to talk about here because I talked about it at length with Mannix. But Hauser is critical of DAZN for not having a boxing guy. And this is a perfect example of what happens when you don't have a boxing guy. So Mungia beats Ali for the title, and then he fights Liam Smith on HBO. Liam Smith, by the way, probably his most notable opponent in this run that I'm about to give you. 
then Brandon Cook on HBO pay-per-view as an undercard, then on the zone, Takashi Inoue, Dennis Hogan, Patrick Alate, and Spike O'Sullivan. I mean, I, I almost think, I mean, Liam Smith might be clearly the most credible opponent during that run. Uh, and like, more importantly, as a network, when you look at this, like at some point, at some point, you just have to say to yourself here, what are we doing with this guy? Like, what the F are we doing with this guy? Like, and I'm not saying that he's not a talent worthy of doing something. It's just, you need to have a plan. And this string of opponents, you can see there's a clear plan for Golden Boy, but there's no clear plan here for DAZN. And you have to ask yourself, like, does he really draw a big enough audience to justify this pathetic run of fights? If people are tuning in in mass to watch Jaime Munguia fight the Patrick Alates of the world, then great. Keep feeding him Patrick, the Patrick Alates of the world. But I doubt that's happening. I really doubt that's happening. If people are subscribing to watch him fight Dennis Hogan, Keep fighting, keep having him fight Dennis Hogan. I mean, Dennis Hogan might have actually been too good. A lot of people would say Dennis Hogan actually won that fight. I really doubt that's happening, though. So the fact that HBO, which was one foot out the door, and they did have a boxing guy, um, but <laughs> being one foot out the door, I, I doubt they put much attention on who the opponent was. The fact that HBO had the most noteworthy opponent speaks volumes as to what happens when there isn't a quote-unquote boxing guy in place. Now, this isn't here to, to, to blast his own for not having a boxing guy. I just, I wanted to give an example of, of <laughs> what happened last week, where it's just like a, a clear-cut example of, of what happens in this instance. And I think what happens now is that Jaime Munguia, had he been... He's really young, and had he been allowed to to train with Eric Morales for this run of fights without a title, he could have done it on some undercards, not faced the scrutiny. Now, he wouldn't have as much money, but he would be ready to step up into the big time, uh, probably in a better position than he is now to actually succeed, because now he's had all these opportunities, and he's gotten paid a lot of money. And people are going to sit here and say, well, it, like if I'm a bigger, if I'm, you know, one of the big time execs at zone, I'm not going to look, you know, I'm going to sit here and say, we pay this guy all this money. We need to get him a big fight. And they're right. It's 2020 in the zone and they need a lot of subscriptions. They, they need to put him in, you know, to a big fight. And whether it's Triple G or Andre, most boxing insiders are going to sit here and say, well, is not ready for it and he'll get destroyed. I don't know exactly what the matchup is. You could even have him fight Canelo. I think that's probably a commercial, commercially viable fight for DAZN. Canelo probably wipes the floor with him. You know, Canelo destroys him probably. But this is an example. Maybe if you are entering and it's this level of fight, maybe you do need a boxing guy. You know, maybe, maybe Hauser uh, is right on this one. Maybe Mannix is right on this one. I don't, I, I tend to think that for the real big fights, it, it isn't, it doesn't take a genius to figure out who Canelo should fight next, and Canelo should probably have a lot of say in it. 
but in terms of developing guys who could fight Canelo or guys who could fight that next level down, the Triple G or Andre, where you can have winners fight Canelo, you do you probably do need someone to do this this job correctly. Um, it's starting, you know, DAZN has given us a lot of volume and a lot of a lot of quality, but there's also been a lot of fights that are sort of uh, empty calories. And Mungia is, is is in that category. He's in the empty calorie category for right now. And he could be an incredible, like his fighting style fits what the sort of the profile of what most Mexican-American fans want in their fighters and would like to see. So he could be a commercial star. So all these things fit together. And what comes next for Jaime Munguia? I think you could probably talk to DeZone, Golden Boy, Jaime Munguia's team, and sort of the core fan base. They're going to give you four different answers. Um, and I think that is that is partially because DeZone just doesn't have a boxing guy. But let's not talk about DeZone's boxing guys anymore. Let's now move on to Atlantic City and on ESPN. We had sort of, sort of lesser profile fights that turned out to be decent TV. Joe Smith Jr. was like a four to one underdog. He pretty much dominates Jesse Hart to win a unanimous decision at late heavyweight. Stevie Nelson ends up knocking out Tim Killick at super middleweight. Um, I don't know if I'd call it a decent action fight, but it's sort of an accumulation, just sort of a bad stylistic matchup. I mean, it's perfect. Perfect stylistic matchup for Stevie Nelson. Bad stylistic matchup for Tim Killick, who probably could make some great TV uh, with the right opponent. I did think a decent stoppage. Uh, where we get into the <laughs> eyebrow raise here is the show does an average of 388,000 viewers. It was the number 43 cable show of the day. Um, a few really interesting stats here that we'll get into in a minute. But be- <coughs> excuse me, before we do that, let's just say... This is the lowest-rated top-ranked show on ESPN uh, thus far in, during the entire deal. Uh, it must be noted it was up against stiff competition from the NFL Divisional Playoff game that CBS aired, which did almost 30 million viewers. If you look at the cable programming that was successful that day, uh, both on ESPN and then if you just looked at the regular programming that was on network TV that aired, almost all of it was NFL playoff pre- and post-game programming, or other shows that just preview the game during the day. Like you got to remember, this weekend is just truly a behemoth where there's four NFL playoff games. It's the final weekend of four NFL playoff games. They take up all the major sporting windows. Specific shout out here to Brooklyn Brawler 1970 on Twitter, who gave out this nuanced statistic: Top Rank on ESPN averaged 280,000 viewers before the end of the AFC divisional game. And it averaged 520,000 viewers after that with a peak audience of 622,000 viewers. And obviously this was also consider- <coughs> considering that DAZN was airing the Mungia fight opposite this. To me, that is incredible context for what happens when you air boxing up against a major sporting event. And to see that peak audience essentially doubled when the football game ended, I mean, it shows you that nothing captures casual sporting audiences like the NFL playoffs. And there were definitely core boxing fans who are casual NFL fans who chose not to watch the undercard. That, you know, they knew the fight was happening on a different network as they were watching the NFL game. 
and they changed the station after the football game and then watched the main event. Now, I don't want to minimize that this is the worst rating that top rank on ESPN has done so far. I mean, one of the things we've seen with free TV on Fox or, or what I would call sunken cost TV uh, on ESPN is that boxing will be treated as programming that fills gaps from time to time. And this fight card definitely qualified as such and sort of had a pretty remarkable turnaround considering the circumstances. I mean, it's not going to help top rank in many aspects, you know, or ESPN in many aspects, just because like, you know, top rank, they've given bad, you know, ESPN has given top rank bad dates in the past and top ranks never gone below that 400,000 viewer mark. And here they did. Um, so I think very interesting Noteworthy, not stop the presses boxing is is falling off the edge of the earth at ESPN. I mean, January is never the time where boxing ratings do great numbers. It just isn't. There's a lot of, you know, the NFL playoffs, I think, just sort of dominate the month of January. So do college bowl games. Um, and we saw great numbers for that. But um, just sort of a great look at what happens when you go up against a behemoth like that. All right. <clears throat> Let's move on for the deep dive this episode. As I said above, we're sort of doing part two for the last one. We're going to go look at sort of what to look for in 2020 for each network. I was so focused on the consumer value in the last deep dive for 2019 that I want to get just into a little bit more of sort of the network side and some of the questions they face and, and sort of what to expect for each one. So let's start with Showtime because they received the lowest grade for 2019 and I think they, I think Showtime and DAZN are actually going to be the two most interesting networks this upcoming year. Both Showtime and DAZN have the highest variance for how 2020 and beyond is going to go for them. And honestly, there are pathways to both networks leaving the sport by the end of 2020 or having a reduced role in the sport. There's also pathways to both having really strong years and looking forward to more strong years after 2020. Uh, I mentioned this in my last episode with, with Showtime. Many people in the boxing industry just see what, what's happening here in 2019 and say, like, hey, this is just Al Heyman and PBC burning another network, and now Showtime is going to be out of boxing at the end of this year. And, you know, maybe they are correct. Uh, I've said on this podcast before that based on my experience at HBO, it's going to be hard for another paid cable company to stay in the sport at a time when it might not make sense for paid cable companies to, you know, as they – face massive changes in sort of the nature of what they are. A lot of people, obviously Bob Arum, most notorious on it, have said a version of the same way. Uh, but I actually think I'm pretty optimistic for Showtime in 2020. I think they'll actually have a really strong rebound year. I think there's a, a very easy pathway to a much different outcome for them. And I really actually don't think it would take too many events to happen in order for Showtime to have this turnaround. I mean, really, you know, big event number one, if Floyd Mayweather decided to come back and box, I would guess he would do it with Showtime. Um, you know, I knew that I know there was that weird Instagram post about UFC, but if Floyd was going to come back in a serious way to box, I would make Showtime the favorite to get him. And you know, really, this boils down to what kind of deal he's being offered and how much money he could make. And I mean, you know, there's no question that he could make the most money. You know, whether it's fighting some UFC fighter again or not, or, or you know, the biggest payday for Floyd Mayweather is going to be for him to fight Manny Pacquiao again. I think that is clear. There's no question about that. Um, 
And I think that would be a really good result for PBC, for Showtime, you know, and for obviously for Manny and Floyd. I mean, I'm not even technically sure if Floyd is with PBC, but he's with Heyman. And the the easiest way for Heyman to ensure that the contract that he gave Manny Pacquiao, which probably has lost him some some you know, seven figures thus far, I would guess, based on the results of the first two pay-per-views. And the easiest way for Heyman to ensure that Pacquiao, that contract turns into a profitable one, is to make this rematch happen. And that doesn't mean it'll happen, but it cleans up so many issues that the PBC has to deal with in terms of of fighter pay and, and turning a profit on certain things. It's very clean, and I think if Floyd really does want to come back. Uh, it's the one fight that you can look at him and say, you're going to make nine figures for this fight. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And I think you can tell Pacquiao that that's his biggest payday. You know he wants it. Um, it's a much more winnable fight for Pacquiao than a lot of, you know, the, than like the Spence or Crawford fights that are out there. Pacquiao has one, possibly two fights left on his deal. This, this makes it pretty clean and easy. Another way that Showtime can sort of, you know, see that pathway to to really getting their brand back in a major way um, is keeping Javante Davis over at Showtime and, and developing him into a successful pay-per-view star. And one of the interesting developments is that we saw in 2019 was PBC taking almost all of their pay-per-view fights over to Fox rather than Showtime. And I think there were some very positive aspects to that for PBC. But Showtime has announced they're doing two pay-per-views this year. And I think it really touches on that bigger theme. And, and, you know, Al Heyman is a smart guy. And he will, you know, this is is basically it. Al Heyman is a smart guy. And he will likely do what it takes to keep Showtime in business. Because it would really be bad to lose that money that Showtime is providing PBC. And we'll get to that in a second. But with regards... To pay-per-view, we saw an interesting arc of how Fox pay-per-view can work. I've gone over this at length, but I think we can now say it's probably a mixed bag by exclusively going with Fox. There are some efficiencies. There's a much bigger mouthpiece, but there's some negatives too. Um, we saw Wilder Ortiz 2 underperform, and we, you know, we saw some very positive signs with Errol Spence. But it's not like Fox brought back that 800,000, 900,000 million type of you know, Manny Pacquiao pay-per-view buy rate. You know, if Gervonta Davis is going to fight on Showtime and he sort of fits that Floyd Mayweather role uh, mold of what Showtime has been successful with, and if he can, and if they can develop him into a pay per view star, I think that's a clear cut case of yes, Showtime can develop these pay per view fights, and I think that's a great case that Showtime can make to PBC, where maybe we maybe we do deserve more of these uh, bigger, you know fighters with this kind of potential and we can develop them into big pay-per-view stars. And I think that's a great argument for Showtime to make to get some of that top level programming back on Showtime. And look, like I mentioned earlier, if we're really being honest, the easiest pathway for Showtime to have a great comeback year is quite simply Al Heyman giving them better fights and unique fighters to their platform like Javante Davis. I mean, Heyman probably knows the stakes here pretty well. And understands that unless he delivers for Showtime, boxing could be on the chopping block. And if he delivers, he'll keep that cash flow going back to his fighters. And look, 
you combine a few of the unification fights that Showtime probably thought they'd have in 2019, but didn't get for a few reasons. And, you know, you do that with a few, you know, a few exclusive stars and a Floyd comeback fight. I mean, that's a big year for Showtime. Um, they would be putting on the biggest event in boxing. They'd be having, you know, a, a windfall from uh, pay-per-view, you know, essentially pay-per-view distribution standpoint. You just can't see that happening. And especially with what's happening at Viacom, Viacom saying, okay, well, let's just get rid of boxing after that kind of year. I mean, also, side note, while we're on the Viacom level, it was reported today that Bellator will now report to Espinoza. Bellator is the Viacom-owned MMA brand that is the clear number two to the UFC in the marketplace. They've built a really interesting business in Europe. They have a lot of young talent. It's too early to tell why this was done. I mean, it probably makes a lot of sense from a corporate standpoint. Maybe nothing changes. Maybe Bellator will end up on Showtime with boxing, similar to the way Strike Force was handled about a decade ago. Maybe that means eventually Showtime does less boxing and some of that budget goes to Bellator. Maybe nothing changes and Showtime just stays sort of committed on both ends to riding out the zone. Too early to tell right now, and it's too early to do anything other than speculate. Noteworthy nonetheless, and we're going to keep an eye on that story, but... The other thing that will affect Showtime, and I'll get into way more of this with Fox, is that if Fox does a bunch of very high-level pay-per-views, then Showtime will have a, a better inventory or the chance to get better fights. So I'm actually, in, in a weird way, Showtime, I'm sure, is rooting for Wilder Fury to, to succeed, actually, in terms of, of how they're going to get better fights. I'll get, I'll get into more on that in a second. Okay. Let's move on to DAZN. DAZN, another interesting one. I would favor them to have the best 2020 out of all the networks for a few different reasons. Uh, First and most importantly, they're all in on boxing in 2020. And this could honestly be their last chance to prove themselves to the rest of the sports world. I mean, God, everyone has been over this. I've been over this a million times on this podcast. While I don't think it's open season on overpaying fighters, which you could argue that in the first six months certainly it was. I do think there is immense pressure on them to deliver a few really huge events and then also pressure, you know, as Hearn himself has already indicated, to produce big fights on a regular basis to encourage that yearly subscription and reduce the monthly churn. Given their large international footprint and the success they've had with international events, I'd anticipate seeing more of those fights around the world. I'll try not to go over too much of what I said on the Manix podcast, but you know, the one-off bigger fights with no strings attached or very limited strings attached strikes me as a really good strategy for DAZN. And the bottom line here, they have the biggest they have, they have the biggest checkbook. And in some ways, just reducing who's going to have the best year to who has the biggest checkbook, I mean, it, sometimes it really is that simple. And I think for 2020, it might be that simple. If you look at individual fighters on DAZN's roster, I'm sure we'll get two Canelo fights. I'm guessing one will be with an international focus. We've already seen reporting that it might be BJ Saunders next, which is less than exciting, I think, for DAZN, but who knows? You know, we'll probably get three Golovkin fights. I'm guessing DAZN will do whatever they can to make Canelo Golovkin three as the big September fight. Um, You know, maybe that's international. Maybe it's not. You know, the Murata fight has been thrown out there by people. 
I'm sure DAZN will pursue making a big Mikey Garcia fight against Pacquiao or any other welterweight who can make a deal over there for big money. Now that Josh Taylor is with MTK and ESPN, Regis Prograde versus Mikey Garcia makes a lot of sense, either at 140 or 147, and we're already hearing Prograde might fight Hooker, um, which I think is an excellent fight. I mean, that's a big-time event, and I think that sort of a two-fight series where you see Mike, you know, Mikey Garcia you know, sort of do this first fight against Jesse Vargas and then Regis Prograde do the fight against Mo Hooker and then sort of winner's fight. I mean, that's a potential, you know, there's something there in in terms of that. You have to think that DeZona Matchroom will start looking at the guys like Andre Usyk, sort of that level of fighter and just say, hey, we need them in big fights. Like, you know, enough, enough building, enough stay busy. We need these guys in big fights. And I mean, to Usyk's credit, he just took the one, you know, the, we knew he was sort of going to get that first step into heavyweight. Now it's like if Usyk, you know, he's got to either get Anthony Joshua this year or like, you know, we've got to sort of develop some other option for him. More than anything, when you look at the zones 2020, inevitably the questions you have to ask here are less about 2020 and more about 2021. Will they still even be in the U S market? I doubt they would leave. It is a possibility if this year is a complete disaster. If at the end of the year we're saying they didn't have the best year, but they had by far the biggest checkbook, you know, you kind of have to wonder. More likely, you have to wonder if they would de-emphasize boxing, just do big events and sort of less week-in, week-out stuff. Let's even say they get the NFL Sunday ticket package, which they're trying to do with their bidding against Amazon or ESPN Plus for it. Does it cost so much money that they have to cut back on some boxing? Um, you know, especially if they need to diversify further for other sports, there's just so many questions for the boxing community at large here. And there's just major ramifications for however it ends up. I mean, I could do a whole episode on what happens to DAZN after 2020. I'm sure I will. Uh, but the obvious thing here is that outside of Canelo, there's going to be a lot of fighters who, you know, are looking at taking, you know, sort of pay cuts and, they're like if they leave, obviously, if they leave, like, let's just go through the basic ramifications. Like there's promoters, especially the ones who don't have exclusive contracts with networks that are relying right now on doing co-promotional deals for guys that are essentially B-sides. These promoters are relying on DAZN to pay above market rates just to stay in business. You're already starting to see that stop to an extent and you have to wonder what happens with, with all this. I mean, anyways, Rather than do that now, the bigger question is, what sports rights does DAZN need to get? When do they become available? If DAZN doesn't get them, or maybe more importantly, even if DAZN does get them but has to way overpay to get them, how does that impact boxing? Nobody knows the answer to that right now. I'm sure even including people at DAZN, I think this is sort of like a three to six month, you know, or even one day at a time type of deal knowing full out that they're all in on boxing in 2020 and that I'm sure in terms of ad, what what are you getting for your subscription in 2020 I'm sure it's going to be good you know just because of that fact just because they this is the time to prove themselves right now like they you know when you start to getting towards the end of the year I mean and that question, what do their sports rights come up? What can they get? How do they build their global sub base? You know, I'm sure they're always going to have some kind of footprint in the United States. But whatever happens this year is going to go a long way towards determining 
where their focus is going to be next year. Um, and it might not be on boxing. Uh, they're not playing the long game and they're going to do whatever they can right now to make the big fights. That's basically why I think they'll have the strongest year in 2020. Uh, this episode really isn't, I've speculated a little bit on what happens after 2020, but it, you know, we're not really trying to do that right now. So let's move on. Let's go to Fox and ESPN where I think it's almost worth talking about them together, at least in the beginning, which is, I know that's weird. Usually you think with PBC, you talk about Fox and Showtime together, but no, I mean, when you look at 2020 for them, either individually or together, the biggest question is how many joint pay-per-views are they going to do together? There is a possibility that Wilder, Wilder Fury 2 and 3, and obviously there's the possibility of Spence Crawford, you know, for ESPN, the winner of Lomachenko-Lopez could obviously fight Gervonta Davis, who would probably be more likely to do that with Showtime, but it's still a PBC guy, so, you know, you can sort of group that in there with it. And really, there's this trickle-down effect that would happen, especially on the Fox side, but really on both sides. It's slightly different on each side. You know, Fox has already announced they're doing four pay-per-views, and let's just jump let's jump into Fox right now. So if Fox only does Wilder Fury once, like if they do Wilder Fury 2, the rematch, and then they don't do any other joint pay-per-views this, this year, and also, if Wilder Fury, quite frankly, doesn't even do that well, then the rest of those pay-per-views that we're going to see, they could be depressing. Like, there's a few different pathways here, but let's go over the, the worst-case scenario and the best-case scenario. So, the worst-case scenario for Fox is that if they only do Wilder Fury once, if it doesn't do that well, and then it sort of puts more pressure on the other three fights, and obviously, one way it could go here is that like I mentioned above, if Pacquiao really only has one fight left on his deal and he goes back to Showtime to fight Mayweather, there goes another big star. Spence is a big question mark, too. I mean, I thought the interview he did was extremely encouraging given the accident he had, but there is a remote, you know, there's a possibility he has setbacks. I'd say a remote possibility that he doesn't even fight in 2020. More likely is that he doesn't go in tough and it's either a really lower level pay-per-view or he just fights a really low-level opponent on, on Network Fox rather than on pay-per-view. Look, this is the worst-case scenario, but you know, for things to head this way, it's not really that crazy at all, especially if Wilder loses and doesn't get a rematch. I mean, all of a sudden, he may not be a guaranteed pay-per-view fighter either. Fox would honestly struggle to come up with pay-per-view-worthy fights if everything went this way. <clears throat> that would cause... You know, they'd be taking a lot of the fighters that you'd expect to see for free on network TV and having to make up pay-per-view fights for them. Uh, it, it can go downhill pretty quickly. Now, let's be clear here. I think it's a low percentage pathway, and I don't think it'll happen. But if you're a network exec, you need to think this way in boxing. You need to prepare for the worst. So if it does go this way, not only would there be weak pay-per-view fights, We'd see worse fights on Big Fox and FS1 because of this trickle-down effect. And we'd see a lot of the, the bigger fighters who want bigger paydays, they might, you know, not be as active in 2020. But let's take a, a second, you know, let's look at the best-case scenario. Because I think I think it's more likely that the best-case scenario will happen. Now, I don't, than the worst case. I think it'll probably end up somewhere in the middle, let's be clear. But let's just, let's look at the best-case scenario. If Wilder Fury 2 happens, if it becomes an instant classic and it does really well, if 
Ruiz rehabs his his career. Andy Ruiz, heavyweight, rehabs his career correctly. Fox could do Wilder Fury two, maybe even three. Then they do Wilder Ruiz. You could you could honestly see Wilder in three times. You add in Spence if he comes back. You know, even if he comes back and he comes back in strong, uh, with you know one. Or two, I doubt he'd fight twice, but let's say one high-level fight where that goes the pay-per-view route. I mean, obviously, the best-case scenario is he comes back in like June and then he fights Crawford in December or something like that. You know, all of a sudden, like if he came back in June on regular Fox and then fought Crawford in December on pay-per-view, all of a sudden Fox could have the best year out of anyone, and this would free up fighters like Porter, Thurman, Danny Garcia, Kamnowski, etc., to be available for big fight. You know, for fights on Big Fox. And quite frankly, Showtime too, like I mentioned above, it would mean that we're much more likely to see some competitive fights in order to generate new opponents in 2021 for the pay-per-view stars. That's an underrated factor here where it's like, you know, it, it becomes less about putting guys in, you know, if you know someone's going to gonna fight a big pay-per-view star winner, it becomes less about making sure they don't lose and more about making sure they have the platform to go off and that you keep your star in with a big-time matchup. I think that's extremely important. It means that the 154 division probably plays out with very competitive matchups on Fox, FS1, and Showtime, rather than having to sort of force one of those guys go to pay-per-view, which is great for the division, because if there's a winner you know, coming out of that, they can probably make the jump to being a pay-per-view fighter. And shout-out to Rafe Bartholomew, for, who wrote a great piece on this for the athletic, I strongly encourage all of you to read that. Uh, came out a week or so, or so ago, maybe a week or two ago. And this best case scenario, I mean, it matters a lot because even if we get close to the best case scenario, every other platform benefits. FS1 is also going to have better fights. PBC has the largest roster of top level fighters, and even though that's a ton of dates to fill, they can do it. And if they're filling the best, the, the biggest pay per view dates with one of their fighters and, you know, a fighter from another stable, that opens up slots for them. It's absolutely critical that they nail the stuff at the top. If they're putting on pay-per-views that perform at the box office, actually make a profit, and where there is a huge public demand, it builds their stars even bigger, which is huge for them. It gets other guys paid on undercards, where it makes a profit. That's huge for them. One of the important things that hasn't been talked about much in this era of boxing, but still really applies to PBC and Top Rank, is that even though the pie has expanded from the pay cable days, pay-per-view is still the way where they can expand the pie even further. You know, and when you look at what PBC did on pay-per-view in 2019, some of the pay-per-views did expand the pie, and they were profitable, and guys got bigger paydays. Some, the guys got bigger paydays, but you wonder if they made money. So did they expand the pie? I don't really know. Overall for Fox, the obvious questions they face here is how much of the top PBC inventory are they going to get rather than Showtime? I would probably predict a little more balance this year than 2019. How many of those really big fights they can get on pay-per-view because of the trickle-down effect it will have in terms of seeing higher quality fights on Fox and FS1? The final obvious question is, will they continue to market the pay-per-views in such an aggressive way, or will they shift some of that focus back to the network programming? Also, can they integrate the marketing into the WWE Friday Night Weekly audience and sort of build some crossover audience there? Uh, 
Fox had a pretty strong year in 2019. I expect that to continue. I mean, the first couple fights they've announced sort of aren't great. But I think that's going to be across the board for everybody. I think just January, February is just not the time where people put their, you know, where promoters and networks put their best fights on on the air. So I think don't look at, you know, the Caleb Plant fight and the Kanoski fight. To be, like, let's, you know, relax on that kind of stuff. The, the, you're not going to see the best stuff in January and February. I think that people should just know that at this point. You're lucky if you see a great fight, um, you know, that was how 2019 went. It's kind of how most years go. Um, okay, ESPN, also an interesting case, and and surprising how much of ESPN's year may depend on Fox. You know, one thing I want to add to what I said above with Fox is because I you know I sort of just jumped right in and like you know sort of how this overarching feeling of ESPN and Fox could work together, how that would go for a variety of reasons. You know. One of the things, you know, not only is it in their best interest to work together because they can make the, the best and the biggest fights, like Wilder Fury 2 and 3, and like Spence and Crawford, more importantly, ESPN and Fox can put on these mega events. They can, I've, I've said this before, they create programming, you know, they're basically creating shoulder programming and talking points for their other uh, daily sports programs. And probably most importantly at all, like these mega events are a threat to DAZN and if they're going to put pressure on DAZN to leave the business, it's like they can work together to do this. That's, you know, or, or just to put pressure on DAZN to take a serious look at, at how seriously they're taking boxing in twenty in 2021, you know, after this year. Like, yeah, like that's, you, you got to do it. They're seeing an opportunity to sort of put the squeeze on DAZN here, their competitor, and you know they're doing it. So... Obviously, for top rank and PBC, I, I hesitate to even get into this, but like when you're looking at the benefits, and, and ESPN and Fox would read these too, if they put DAZN out of the weekend, week out boxing business or something like that, they would expect to sign a ton of the fighters that are on DAZN right now. I mean, obviously, you know, Canelo would go back to pay per view. I'm sure lots of people would love that. So it sort of gives this extra incentive. To eat for ESPN and Fox to, to work together, and quite frankly, ESPN and Showtime as well, if, if it's a PBC fighter, PBC fighter who's with Showtime rather than Fox. Going back to, I side, that was a tangent, whatever. Going back to focus more specifically on ESPN, look, I, their 2020 is largely dependent on where they put their focus. This is how their 2019 went. This past weekend was a pretty good example where the viewership numbers on linear ESPN were really bad. Those up against the playoff game, throwaway date, that's the kind of thing. You know, I've said it before. If you're a promoter, you know this is going to happen. You've got to schedule it accordingly. Uh, you know you're going to get some throwaway dates. Fox got them. ESPN got them. It is what it is, I guess. is You know, the, that was a real line before the Irishman. But, yeah, it is what it is. Also, this weekend, ESPN could reap the benefits of, of what's happening, uh, you know, where they have a, a, a fight right after the prelims to a Conor McGregor pay-per-view, but ultimately their fight is going to go up against a Conor McGregor fight rather than an NFL playoff game. Kind of the same deal with Fox, although Fox is more, you know, probably you could probably watch the Fox fights and then watch Conor walk into the ring. It times out a little bit differently, you know, but there's much bigger issues in play. I mean, 
the most important issue I've talked about a few times, which is where does Disney want to focus? If it's still on ESPN+, Plus, then we will see a huge amount of both volume and quality on ESPN+. Plus. I went over in detail the last episode what content was on there. Um, but it's a lot of lower-level foreign fights, a lot of higher-level foreign fights, a lot of fights that feel like they would be on regular ESPN um, in the United States, and then a few events that feel sort of extra special. Uh, and there were clearly several more of those on ESPN Plus in 2019 than there were on regular ESPN, which is a shift from the past. One of the issues I haven't talked a lot about for Top Rank or for anyone else uh, for that matter, but I touched on it with the PBC above and sort of the variations of how 2020 would go, you know, and this is where it's slightly different because, you know, I think with PBC, they've got a few people, they've got a few fighters that you know would be on pay-per-view. Uh, and so then there's that trickle-down effect. Well, Top Rank actually has a lot of star fighters that fall into the neither fish nor foul category where they're a star fighter, but they can't do a pay-per-view on their own. And it sort of affects the level of fights you watch because of it. So Crawford in particular makes a lot of money, as does Lomachenko. And they will want bigger money for bigger fights. You know, I think Crawford made $4 bucks for his fight on December on ESPN that did a, a strong cable rating. But <clears throat> he's not proven on his own just to be an automatic pay-per-view fighter. And, and by the way, it's okay to say that because PBC has, a, they basically had the same issue until 2019 when fit, when uh, Spence broke out on a fiscally responsible level. Like Wilder is pay-per-view based on what he gets paid because he walked in, you know, DAZN gave him a huge offer, but he underperformed against Ortiz. Um, Pacquiao was the only one that's like a guaranteed pay-per-view fighter without knowing the opponent. Um, you know, and I think after the Porter fight, I'd put Spence in the same category, but I'd say... Let's pause on that till we know more about his injuries from the car crash. So I guess my overall point is it's okay to have these kind of fighters, but it puts you in this weird position because we're in a world right now that it's very matchup dependent for pay-per-view. So that where if you can make the big fights or not is going to determine a lot of what ends up happening on ESPN and ESPN Plus this year. And here's how that manifests itself. Lomachenko is not a U.S. pay-per-view. Unless he goes to England, you know, or, sorry, let me rephrase. Lomachenko, not U.S. pay-per-view if he goes to England to fight Luke Campbell. He might be pay-per-view against Teofimo Lopez. If that fight is in the U.S., he's probably pay-per-view. Lomachenko is clearly pay-per-view if he's fighting Gervonta Davis. Crawford, not a pay-per-view against a mandatory like Mean Machine or someone on that level. He's probably not a pay-per-view if he's moving up in weight to fight Patrick Teixeira for a different, you know, another title. He probably is pay-per-view if he's fighting someone like Jose Ramirez, who would move up in, you know, in weight to, to, to fight him. You know, if he fights Josh Taylor in the UK, that's probably not pay-per-view in the US. Crawford is pay-per-view against, you know, one of the PBC fighters that would possibly come, you know, come together to make a deal. I would say Spencer Porter are probably the only two examples um, there. And and so you look at that. I mean, obviously, you can run that whole gamut with Tyson Fury, but right now we know he's pay-per-view against Wilder. And what does this all mean? Well, like I said, Crawford made $40 million bucks for his last fight. Lomachenko is making multiple millions per fight. Their opponents also look to get paid handsomely to fight them. And if these guys move over to pay-per-view, that's a huge amount of budget that was allocated to regular ESPN or ESPN Plus that is now opened up to make better quality fights. 
this is a different version of the trickle-down effect that happens if you put on a fiscally responsible pay-per-view. So yes, like getting Crawford and Lomachenko on regular ESPN can be great. But as a consumer, what you really want to have happen is that these guys get into bigger fights that you're happy to pay pay-per-view prices for. Because if you're happy to pay that, and if they're in the bigger fights, you'll get better week-in, week-out programming because of the budget that's opened up. It do, Just because the budget opens up doesn't mean that you know, a top-ranked fighter like Ray Beltran, who was on a bunch you know, in 2019, gets paid more. He's going to get paid the same amount, but it does mean that top rank can make more of those better BF Fosdick fights. It does mean that they'll be able to make unification fights at weight classes that aren't as glamorous, like 130. I mean, they just signed Andrew Cancio. Like that, that you know, just because I did a whole deep dive on him, they, they signed him. That's great. They have, they have a ton of opportunity to make big fights there, and now you can pay to, to ensure these guys get in the ring together. Also, question: it's like, you look at how are they going to marinate and ultimately make Ramirez-Taylor at 140? Can you do that on pay-per-view right now? What are they going to do with Inouye? I mean, Inouye is awesome. I want to see him fight, and he's cheaper, you know, because he's a smaller weight class. But they're going to need to pay to get the other star names from, <clears throat> from his division in with him, and everybody wants to see that. That's why it's so critical that these big fights get made, because it opens up that budget in order to do that. There's huge potential here. I mean, ESPN is a huge amount of the top pound-for-pound pound stars, but a lot of them are foreign. So making big fights with these guys in the U.S., I mean, you really need to, them to break through, and you can't just showcase them in fights a lot more. Like, th this is where you, you need to be able to do that. You know, bottom line... For ESPN, if, if they step back and look at 2019, I think you can make a strong argument that will ultimately end up being a big setup year for them in order to make a lot of these big fights. And then 2020, if it turns out that they've, they're able to make a lot of these you know big fights, then 2020 is going to be a really strong year for them. If they can't do it, it's just going to end up, you know, going to feel a little bit like deflating we'll probably look back and, and and see that it does affect the ratings a bit they're, they're not going to be as good so i think that that's the big question facing espn and espn plus and quite honestly that's the big question affecting boxing overall i think boxing fans got a great year in 2019 if there were any complaints to be had it's that there were no major breakthrough events that just dominated the general sports conversation. And there were a lot of those in many other years in the teens. In 2019, though, we saw a huge volume increase in sort of the pure amount of boxing that's being televised. We saw a huge increase in the amount of really good, if not great, fights. Not necessarily big fights or big fights simply in the United States. But we saw a huge amount of increase in the, in the amount of great fights. My biggest criticism is the lack of curation. Uh, and that was true for all networks. I don't think that I don't think you can single you can single out you can you you can, every every network had its day in this where where they didn't where they had a really bad either stretch or a bad couple shows you know on this. 
I expect 2020 to be just as competitive, maybe even more competitive. DAZN and Showtime, you know, if, if you believe what you hear within the industry, they're going to be fighting for their future in the sport in this year. And there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to deliver. And it's not to say that either one will leave. It's just to say that their, their future is on the line from, from if you believe what you hear inside the boxing industry. Fox and ESPN, probably more stable. But top rank in PVC will no doubt, you know, be fighting a turf war at their own respective networks just for attention. And I think that's why I'm actually pretty encouraged about all these companies working together in 2020 to make bigger fights. Because not only are they fighting to push each other out of boxing and, and sort of win the turf war there, they're also fighting to create bigger events that can capture more of the attention within their own universe. And that's really something that gets talked about in the insular boxing world. But boxing and ESPN and Fox is just further down on the list than other sports. And I think Top Rank and PBC have had a little taste of it. And now they understand that for them to get the attention of ESPN and Fox in a real way and break out, they need to make these big time events. When there are so many options in terms of watching boxing, consolidation at some point is just inevitable. And 2020 might be the last year where we get this much volume and this much competition. But this war between networks and promotional companies, I mean, it's going to continue at least until one network exits. And there will certainly be reverberations based on which network exits. I don't think it's a guarantee that one network is going to exit. I think it's much more likely that you'll see it in 2021 than you would see it, than you were going to see it this year. Um, it's also, I don't necessarily, a lot of people have talked about this as a bubble. And actually, I don't, we're in a version of a bubble, but not a true bubble. I mean, that concept is for a different podcast. I will, I will tease it out as that. And I, and I can explain why, because I think, you know, the two candidates to leave are Showtime and DAZN. And I don't, I think each one of them leaving would have a, a, a different effect on boxing than you might think. Um, but that's for a different that's for a different show. Right now, in 2020, enjoy the heated competition that you're about to see, because I think it's going to produce a lot of really good boxing. All right, let's go into the preview section. Two fight cards this upcoming weekend. Uh, so Saturday, uh, January 18th. Let's start with a Fox card from Philadelphia, where Julian Williams fight fights Jason Rosario for Williams. IBF and WBA junior middleweight titles. Also on the card, Chris Colbert fighting Jezreel Corrales for a vacant WBA interim junior lightweight title. Moving on to ESPN and from Verona, New York, we have the lighter Storm Alvarez fighting Michael Seals, 10 rounds at light heavyweight, and then Ajit Kabayel fighting at heavyweight one week later on Saturday, January 25th from New York and on Showtime. We have Danny Garcia fighting Ivan Redcatch at welterweight in a WBC title eliminator, and then Jared Hurd making his comeback against Francisco Santana at junior middleweight. Odds for these fights: Elider Alvarez is a five to one ish favorite over Michael Seals. Um, Chris Colbert about ten to one over Jezreel Corrales. Uh, J-Rock Williams is like between 20 and, and 30 to 1. You know, the Showtime fight doesn't even really have odds right now. Um, so that kind of tells you where that is. 
I won't talk about that Super Bowl card for DAZN on, on January 30th, but that's an interesting one. I will pre- I'll, I'll, I'll probably record Tuesday, uh, not next week, but the week after, to do a review of this one and to and to get into that one. So there's a little bit of time to, to, to talk about that preview because I think that's a really interesting card. And by the way, also, I was born in Pittsburgh. I'm a Steeler fan. I, <laughs> if Logan Paul fights Antonio Brown, I am in. I am in. I'm not going to, you know, these celebrity fights, like, I, I kind of think they're interesting side note type stuff. I know it's not for everybody. That one I'm in on. Um, but anyways, so, look, January, February, not the greatest. Not not the greatest. Like, we, we know that. Um, but, you know, there's a couple gems here. Otherwise, look, just enjoy the NFL playoffs. Enjoy what this is. This is this is a great time to watch the NFL playoffs, the, the end of football, sort of. And, you know, the, look, for, for all you kind of MMA fans, Conor McGregor's fighting this, this upcoming weekend. I hope that does, you know, interesting to see whether ESPN is going to, boxing is going to capitalize on that or just get destroyed in the ratings again. We'll find out. All right. Talk to you guys in two weeks. Bye.
you what you was looking for?